Blog Talk Radio. This is the gist of freedom with Manisha Sinha, Draper Chair in American History and the author of The Slave's Cause, A History of Abolition. I will be talking to you every third Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black History and Current Events. You can find over 500 archive shows of the Gist of Freedom on blackhistoryuniversity.com. I look forward to spending every third Saturday afternoon. Hello, everyone. This is Manisha Sinha um, for our regular blog post radio show. Um, and this time, we're, of course, doing it in Black History Month. Uh, and there is a lot to discuss. Um, about um, events that will be coming up soon, um, including Mardi Gras in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, which is a wonderful symbol of the merging of different and unique cultures, uh, African-American, Native American, and European. Uh, But as I think about uh, the coming Mardi Gras festival on March 1st, I'm also thinking about the relationship between African Americans and Native Americans and the long history of slave resistance in Louisiana. We know that, you know, in the 18th century, before Louisiana was a part of the United States, um, you had a plantation slavery based on sugar. uh, And it flourished under the Spanish and the French And then, of course, eventually when the United States um, acquired Louisiana in 1803, uh, mainly because of the bravery of the Haitian slave rebels who defeated Napoleon's armies, uh, and Napoleon got sick of this territory and sold it to the United States. But before that, there is a long history of black resistance to slavery. You can see that in the various slave rebellions of the 1790s, that occurred at the same time as the Haitian Revolution, uh, which was, after all, a big slave rebellion and the only successful one in world history. And you can see in Louisiana, you have, of course, the legend of Jean Saint Malo, who was an enslaved man who fought for the freedom of enslaved people, was finally captured and killed. But his legend lived on in songs and in the folk memory of the people uh, and continue to inspire resistance. Um, you can see it in the Point Coupe slave rebellions. Um, you can see it in slave conspiracies where enslaved people ran away to Indian territory and formed runaway or maroon communities and many times elicited Native American help to resist slavery. So Louisiana has a long history of these rebellions. And in fact, the largest slave rebellion in American history took place in Louisiana in 1811, the German Coast Rebellion. Um, So this period was marked by uh, fugitivity, marriage, runaway uh, slaves, runaway uh, communities that were called maroon communities, coming from the Spanish word Cimarron. And these maroon communities existed all over the slave South. 
in the swamps in Louisiana, in Florida, in South Carolina, uh, and most famously in the dismal swamp region between Virginia and North Carolina. They flourish in inaccessible areas where enslavers um, and slave patrollers would have difficulty finding enslaved people. Um, it was a difficult existence, uh, but these enslaved people managed to escape the plantations and create an independent life for themselves, much like the larger maroon communities in the hills of Jamaica. These are the histories that we are not very well aware of and that we should know. Uh, we know enslaved people also ran away to Indian territory, to, to Native American nations, uh, and were many times assisted by them. Uh, we now are increasingly looking at um, slave narratives of enslaved people, looking at the ways in which enslaved people um, actually uh, received assistance uh, from Native American nations. Uh, and many times, of course, um, we know that there was a sort of an informal underground railroad, even in Indian territory. These are the stories just recently being uncovered by historians. But if you look at the relationship between Native Americans and African Americans, it is a long and complicated story. Um, there was many times collaboration and assistance, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and in New England, particularly, you had the emergence of a large Afro-Indian community because there was so much intermarriage between Native Americans and African Americans. Uh, including some very prominent black leaders um, like Paul Cuffey and his descendants. Um, so we can see this um, throughout American history, uh, but there were also instances when there was contention. Uh, for instance, many Southern slave societies would hire Indian warriors to act as slave catchers to retrieve enslaved people who ran away into Indian territory. Um, we also have some remarkable instances that I talk about uh, in my book, The Slave Scores, A History of Abolition, of African-American missionaries um, in the 18th century who actually lived amongst Native Americans and tried to Christianize them. Um, so there is this long history also of cultural interchange between Native Americans and African-Americans. Um, and one of these missionaries, actually, when he came back to slavery, uh, pointed out that he thought the Native Americans who treated him more kindly than Euro-Americans, especially those who were slaveholders, were the better Christians um, than the white Americans who enslaved and punished him. Um, there is also a, a somewhat um, a complex history of Native American nations um, in the South. Uh, they were known as uh, the five so-called civilized nations because they adopted many Euro-American ways, including slaveholding. Um, so you had slaveholding amongst the Cherokees, um, the Choctaws, uh, the Creeks. Um, these are the people who were dispossessed by Andrew Jackson uh, in the 1830s, the famous Trail of Tears, uh, and sent on to Indian Territory into the Southwest. Uh, many of them enslaved African Americans and sometimes refused to accept them as full members of their communities. Um, 
and uh, enslavement was seen as a mark of their civilization, ironically. Um, and, and during the Civil War, some of them sided with the Confederacy. But there were others, especially amongst the Seminoles, who sided with the Union um, and who saw and who accepted people of African descent as full members of their tribes um, and were and saw emancipation as, as, as their goal also. Unfortunately, after the Civil War, many of these Native American nations, whether they fought for the Confederacy or the Union, were dispossessed of their lands, um, especially those who had fought for the Confederacy. And, um, you know, we have this complicated story of black enslavement and Indian dispossession that we all um, still live with. Um, a good example of this, of course, is the black settlement um, in Seneca Village. Uh, we know that there um, African Americans built an independent black community, and they were dis- and Seneca, of course, is an Indian name, uh, but they were dispossessed uh, in order to make way for the building of Central Park. Um, so this history of dispossession is something uh, that African Americans, in a way, shared uh, with Native Americans. Um, so that is a long history um, of uh, African American resistance and Native American dispossession. Um, and you know, since I talked about Seneca Falls, um, I mean, so not Seneca Falls, sorry, Seneca Village. Um, the the uh, African American independent town uh, that was raised in order to make way for the creation of Central Park in New York. I think we can connect sometimes these stories um, with even present day uh, current events, what is happening today, um, and histories of um, discrimination against people of color and people of African descent. And interestingly enough, now we are seeing the Trump business family uh, being uh, investigated in New York uh, for corruption, for their underhand shady business tactics. Uh, And Trump and his family were, of course, known um, to ill-treat and to um, discriminate against Black uh, and people of color tenants. There, there was a case against them uh, for doing that. It's not surprising that, strongly enough, uh, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, who's uh, the first black woman uh, to hold this office as Attorney General of New York, uh, having won election in 2018, um, she was born in Brooklyn. And she is the one who is now prosecuting Donald Trump and his family for all their shady business practices, their corruption. What's interesting Um, about Letitia James is that she did not back down. Uh, And just uh, a day ago, uh, the uh, New York judge ruled uh, that uh, Trump, uh, you know, and his children, Um, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. uh, will be deposed by her and that they must, uh, in fact, cooperate uh, with the investigation launched by Letitia James. 
Um, the fact that she's the first African-American attorney general uh, and that she is the one who hopefully will bring Trump uh, and his corrupt family business to justice uh, is is like uh, is, is is perfect justice because of Trump and the way in which he used racism and racial divisions um, to to win power and continues to stoke racism and racial divisions uh, and today the Republican Party under his guidance continues to do that uh, and interestingly enough the judge who ruled in this, his name is Amit Mehta, he's an Indian-American judge. Um, So we can see how it is people of color, people of African descent, um, even new immigrants to this country that adhere to American democratic norms and to the rule of law much more than someone who pretends to be a patriot, uh, but actually was quite treasonous um, in the ways in which he interacted with our enemies, including Putin, uh, and the ways in which the Republican Party today still is uh, completely uh, in cahoots uh, with the Russian dictator, rather than even representing the interests of their own country. Um, so I, I think this whole scenario, you know, evokes this long history of African-Americans um, in New York. I would say that uh, we should look at this flourishing uh, black community in Brooklyn, and you can see that in the new miniseries, uh, The Gilded Age, in which uh, the black historian Erica Armstrong Dunbar is an executive producer, tells the story of uh, um, a middle-class, accomplished black family from Brooklyn and in a way captures what black people achieved after the draft riots in Brooklyn. And it was, of course, um, something that black abolitionists were very proud of. Dr. James McCune Smith was the the doctor involved there. Abolitionists, black and white, uh, raised money and kept that up. And that orphanage was burnt down. Um, So this display of racism, this kind of crude display of racism, um, is another part of the dispossession of African Americans who literally fled Manhattan and moved to Brooklyn, uh, where they set up uh, a, a flourishing black community. Uh, in Brooklyn, too, you had examples of independent black communities like Seneca Village that flourished for a long time uh, and that were led by black abolitionists like Weeksville in Brooklyn. And there's a wonderful museum there right now that I would urge everyone to to go and visit. Uh, In fact, when the 1619 Project had a a book party uh, uh, for that project, um, they actually held it at Weeksville, which is a historic uh, black community, and it has been recreated uh, quite well uh, recently. Uh, But the fact remains that many of these black uh, people had to flee uh, and even some abolitionists uh, uh, like Louis Stappen left uh, Manhattan and moved to um, to Brooklyn. And the historian Leslie Harris, who has written a history of, of the free black community in New York City, noted that the black uh, population uh, declined so suddenly and rapidly after the 1863 draft rights that it never really recovered uh, from that. Uh, 
uh, and um, that, in fact, this racial program was uh, put down by returning Union Army troops from Gettysburg. Uh, they had just won a victory in Gettysburg against uh, the Confederacy, against uh, Lee, who had invaded the North and on his way back to the South had literally enslaved uh, free black people. Uh, the Confederate Army had done that. So then they had to come down to New York City and put down this riot. And, you know, whatever grievances uh, the immigrant working class had, their display of sheer racial hatred is something that I think historians should not um, undermine or or say, you know, uh, try to explain it away. Um, what happened instead, of course, is the black community moves to Brooklyn and you have a flourishing community there in Weeksville. Uh, these are the people uh, who are at that time, like Elizabeth Gloucester and her husband, who was a clergyman, uh, supported John Brown's raid in Harper's Ferry, uh, you know, raised money for his raid. So these were radical black abolitionists who believed in um, economic independence, in creating independent black institutions, uh, but they also were fighting or waging a war against slavery. Uh, and so many of them were avid supporters of John Brown, uh, including the black women who uh, raised money for his raid, uh, like Elizabeth Gloucester, um, like Mary Ellen Pleasant, who went on to become a famous businesswoman in, in California. So in this history of dispossession and, and racist violence, we also find African-Americans um, accumulating property and achieving uh, so much uh, more uh, in, in the worst of circumstances. And I think it is important for us to remember the achievements and the stories of resistance uh, just as much as we understand the attacks, the racist attacks, uh, and the oppressions uh, that people faced uh, under slavery History and long Native Americans and African Americans, both collaboration but also contention, um, you know, and that contention continued uh, with the Indian Wars in which these Native Americans were finally dispossessed because uh, we know there were black soldiers within the Federal Army at that time, too. Uh, to this other history, this very local history in New York, of Seneca Village, of Weeksville, um, of uh, attacks on the African-American community and the ways in which they recovered uh, and overcame that. Uh, and today you can see that playing out in this legal drama uh, between Letitia James um, and, and the Trump family. Um, she is the only one who has had the gumption to take on uh, Trump um, to make him answerable to the law and to make it clear that no one is above the law. Uh, he may have occupied the office of the presidency that still does not make him uh, above the law. Um, so I think it is is really important for us to to remember that. Um, I will close with um, you know a random fact. Uh, which may not be entirely linked to our uh, conversation today. Um, but if we look back uh, again from New York, back to New Orleans, where I began uh, my um, uh, podcast today, um, I would 
tell you that we should look, for instance, uh, at these pivotal moments in history that tell us a bit more about Black life and achievement in this country. And one of them I had mentioned was the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, Soon after that, in 1808, the African slave trade was declared illegal uh, by the United States uh, as um, allowed by the U.S. Constitution. Uh, But we know that there was a huge domestic slave trade uh, that continued uh, from the Upper South to the Lower South. And New Orleans was one of the biggest slave depots in this domestic slave trade in which over one million souls were sold uh, from the old Upper South states, so the tobacco areas, to the new cotton kingdom of the Southwest. We know that one in four slave families were broken up in the Upper South because of the domestic slave trade. So we are talking really about a long history of um, of um, um, you know, slavery and slave trading, and yet there were African Americans in New Orleans, um, some of them free, some of them of mixed Spanish and French heritage, who were educated, who were really quite remarkable, had their own militias. Uh, they fought in the 1812 war under Andrew Jackson and received commendation from him for their bravery. Um, they existed, these native Louisiana guards existed right up to the Civil War. Um, and on the eve of the Civil War, when many slave states like Louisiana wanted to re-enslave free black people, some of these free black people offered their services to the Confederacy just for self-protection. Uh, of course, their services were refused because the Confederacy was built on the idea of white supremacy and of of the idea of racial slavery. Um, But we know that these native Louisiana guards, um, in fact, may have done that for self-protection, as did some other free blacks. But there were no such things as black Confederates. So that's a longstanding lost cause myth. There were no no African-Americans who fought for the Confederacy in any substantial numbers unless there were a few who passed as white. Uh, We know that many were enslaved and were used as slave labor uh, by Confederate officers, and many of these escaped to the Union Army uh, the first chance that they had. Uh, The Native Guards now are interesting because when New Orleans was taken by the Union Navy and Union Army, uh, these Native Guards immediately joined the Union Army. Uh, And some of the first black officers in the Union Army came from the Louisiana Native Guards. They had this long and proud tradition, uh, black militia tradition, uh, going back to the 1812 war, and they performed really well uh, in the Civil War. Uh, And after the Civil War, uh, these are the people who led the fight for black rights, not just for people like themselves, many of whom who were free and of mixed race heritage, Uh, but for all enslaved people, for all people of African descent. Um, They published their own newspapers, um, like the New Orleans Tribune, that became a kind of um, uh, a spokesman for black rights in Louisiana and throughout the South. Uh, So they took a leading role, uh, both during the Civil War and after the Civil War, 
uh, in the fight for black rights. So I thought since we began with New Orleans uh, and since March 1st is Mardi Gras, maybe we shall end also with New Orleans. Um, I should also mention that it is President's Day weekend um, and you can watch uh, many good history shows. Um, some of, uh, in many of, uh, I have actually participated in all of them. Um, <clears throat> the ones I would like to mention, uh, one is Lincoln's Dilemma, which is now uh, being live streamed um, uh, through Apple TV. Another is um, a three-part um, series on Abraham Lincoln in which President Obama is also taking part. Uh, and that is being shown in the History Channel starting tomorrow, President's Day, uh, for three nights. And finally, I'm another documentary uh, called The Black Patriots of the Civil War. Uh, and this documentary um, has been produced by the basketball legend um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, and so since it is President's Day, I will end with Lincoln, uh, a man who opposed slavery right from the start for moral reasons and then moved towards abolition during the Civil War and then towards black rights uh, before he died. Okay. Yes, I did get something to drink. Yes. So um, I'd like to end this show since we are talking about President's Day uh, this, uh, this weekend, and I have recommended all these different history shows in which I am participating for you to see. Uh, but I'd like to end with uh, Lincoln's Cooper Union speech. Uh, this is a speech that Lincoln gave when he had become the presidential candidate um, of the anti-slavery Republican Party. And uh, in this speech, uh, which Lincoln gave at the famous uh, Cooper Union uh, in 1860, um, Lincoln said, uh, well, he had not yet become the candidate, but he would soon become, and in a way that speech was, uh, you know, heading him towards that direction. Um, he, he said that it was not the anti-slavery Republican Party, not to be confused with the neo-Confederate Republican Party of today, since both the parties have switched roles. Uh, but he said it was not the anti-slavery people of the North or the Republican Party that was untrue to the American Republic and its founding ideals. That the people who had uh, fallen from those ideals were Southern slaveholders. Uh, and that the attempt to both perpetuate and extend slavery in the American Republic was its undoing because it went against its founding ideals. Uh, and I think since we are celebrating uh, a President's Day tomorrow, um, it's really important for us perhaps to end with what Lincoln said in his Cooper Union address and to understand that today there are people who are doing something similar. And perhaps we should heed the words of Abraham Lincoln to understand what true American patriotism means. So with that, I will close this show for February, and I hope to see you again, or at least have you listen in to me uh, next March, uh, again, the third Saturday of the month, uh, when we will again um, issue a new podcast. Thank you so much for listening.